Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun Podcast. It's me, Dave Wakeman, and I am your host. Uh, my guest today from the online rule is Scott Goodacre. We had a great conversation about marketing soccer clubs, football clubs, global football, okay? Because I'm going to use the language of Britain because they call it football. Uh, it's a great episode. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. Uh, first, though, I want to remind you to check out the brand new uh, updated version of Talking Tickets. You can get it at talkingtickets.substack.com. I'm going to put this podcast out on the 10th or the 8th of September. Uh, the first new edition will come out on the 9th of September. Uh, so if you get there today, you can sign up. It's going to be great. Uh, make sure to check out my friends at Booking Protect. I was chatting to them earlier this week. Uh, some really great stuff coming up. Uh, the new partnership uh, and the new ownership of Booking Protect through Cover Genius. Uh, there's going to be great, great ways to work with them. Uh, great new things coming forward. So check them out. BookingProtect.com. Uh, reach out to Haley. Uh, she can hook you up. So back to Scott. Okay, Scott Goodacre and the online rule. The online rule is a really great website that talks about marketing and the business of football. Uh, on this episode, we talk about marketing. We talk about digital marketing. We talk about um, how the online rule got started as somewhat of a hobby. Uh, we talk about what the angle is. We talk about social media. Uh, we talk about the state of social media in football. Um how to use tools well, how to not use tools well. We started, um, we covered branding. We talked about uh, the ability to establish a brand. We talked about brand codes. We talked about um, the wolves because wolves do a really great job of uh, branding and social media uh, and creating a persona around their team. Uh, we talked about the online rule as a site and how uh, Scott and his team has built it. Um, and we get into a lot of really, really great stuff. So I want to turn this episode over to me and Scott Goodacre talking about marketing and the online rule on the business of fun. I was really, I have been checking out the site. I've been visiting regularly uh, with the start of the new football season uh, and an interesting one at that. And your background as a marketer, I wanted to have you come on and have a, and have a, have a chance to chat with you uh, because why not? This is going to be fun. So tell us about the online rule. Let's start there. And um, and I want to understand, you know, why you started it, you know, and how you've developed this brand. Yeah, um, it started December 2013. So we're coming up to probably nine years very shortly. And um, it was just something I did kind of fresh out of university video really, a few years afterwards. I've always liked dabbling with a few things outside of my whatever I'm doing in the day job. I've always liked to have a little kind of hobby or something around that. Um, probably says a lot that a hobby for me was more marketing stuff, even though I was doing marketing in my day job. It's just it's something I'm quite passionate about. It seemed a good way of combining that that love of sport with the marketing side, chance to educate myself on another kind of industry, another area. Um, it was a friend who had the idea, to be honest with you, still a good friend today. Um, he helped us out for the first year or so. We were writing a lot of content together. Um, I used all the skills I learned, building websites, setting up social media followings, doing the SEO side of it. He left me to it after about a year, and really, it's just gone from there. Um, originally, if you go back through the early stages, because I've got every single article is still on there, okay, from kind of 2013, just before, actually, as well, um, some of the things that we both written at different points. And it, it evolved, really, from being kind of a bit of news, covering every little innovation, really to going towards good practice, case studies, how people can, I don't know, 
use brand essentially from a footballing point of view, how they can do fan engagement, how they can do digital marketing, innovations, tools, tips, all good stuff essentially is the kind of the my kind of very informal tagline that I've got for it. It's it's good stuff, it's good examples. It's not criticism, it's not, oh, this is bad, look at this mistake that a social media market has made, look at how they got this wrong. Instead, it's this is good, these are the positives. How do we hold those people up on the pedestals and kind of champion that side of it really more than anything? Yeah, no, that I mean that's awesome. I I think probably when I first started out, maybe I and it was not necessarily uh always intentional, um, but it's le- less so now. It was like um I I would take like on here's the challenge, here's the opportunity, and here's the action that you can take. Um yeah. and that would that would present problems for me. So <laughs> so the way you're doing it, I think is it works a little bit, it works a little bit better. Um, you know, it, because you can be um you can be specific in your praise. And I think that's probably good because it helps people if they can see an example of how something is done well, right? Because then it's, at least to me, it allows you to sort of picture yourself inside of it and you, and you are able to take action because, you know, the, every, you know, the carrot and the stick both work. It's just that you have to be very uh, judicious with how you use them both. So Absolutely. the online... Yeah, so the online rule is started as a hobby, and so your hobbies are marketing. So now, um, <laughs> I have a life. I honestly have a life. But yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I see all of the marketing stuff behind you on the screen uh, <laughs> with like one little sliver of Newcastle. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this, because when I had Giles Edwards um, on the podcast a while back, uh, we talked about proper marketing, and he talked about his um, definition, his philosophy, how he kind of got involved in 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 this idea of marketing, uh, and I find it useful, number one, for people to tell me, um, you know, kind of their path a little bit here and sort of like what informs their decisions. And what I mean by that is that one of the way you work with people and the way you talk to people, which is very similar to how I do it, is like you go, don't just paint from this narrow set of choices that you have, right? Which is like, oh, this is the way it's always been done in sport. There's this huge world of ideas and examples that you can draw from and the tools exist to achieve um, outcomes greater than you've had before and it doesn't take you reinventing everything it just means uh, i call it stealing you steal from like other people you know so like what is your philosophy about marketing you know how do you approach the job you know and how has that influenced you as you've taken on you know your business and the online rule well, I think you hit the nail on the head, really. Um, I mean, the, the old phrase is genius steals, isn't it, essentially? Like, there's, there's no such thing as an original idea. Um, you know, in music, you've got a handful of chords. It's how you kind of apply them, how you use them, your tempo, your rhythm, and all those kind of things come together to make a song. And you can have songs that are done in the same keys with the same chords, which sound massively different to each other, depending on who you know an artist is trying to reach and who they're trying to kind of, I don't know, sell to or whatever. Um, I find it exactly the same in marketing. I don't think of this as being a particularly complex profession or job. I think people make it complex and they make it complicated um, by throwing on all of the different tools and trying to, well, we, we've spoken just before about kind of, this is how it's always done and all those barriers that go up in front of um, kind of the various different organizations. In a nutshell, um, you know, you need to find out who your audience is. We spoke about that before as well. You've got to find out who mm-hmm. you're trying to reach. You've got to do your research. You've got to know who you're trying to reach. Um, and then you've just got to match your stuff backwards to it. But 
in my experience from doing bits of research, every year we do a survey through the online world called State of Football Social Media, and we look at kind of how they plan, how they strategize and what they do. It's not happening in this profession. Now, if I walked into any business, and I work with quite a lot of businesses kind of in the Northeast where I'm based in England, um, as well as up and down the country as well. If I walked into any of those businesses and just said, I just keep doing what you're doing, it wouldn't work. Okay, because the reason they come to people like myself is because things aren't working. Okay, so you're going to take a step back and um, we look at their strategy and we have a plan. We actually write stuff down. We decide what an approach is and we try and give people a framework to stick to going forward with their marketing. My experience of working with sports clubs, football clubs in particular in this industry is that that type of thing doesn't happen. Um, and you you could not go into any other business in this world outside of sport and say, right, what are you going to do? The know, we'll just decide day to day or we'll just put a couple of things out as and when something happens, we'll react to everything that goes on. You wouldn't, you wouldn't last, you wouldn't survive, you wouldn't have a brand, it wouldn't build. In football, they seem to get away with that, but therefore I don't think the clubs are necessarily grown like they could, potentially with the approaches that they're taking, because nobody has that strategic, in five years we want to be here, in a year we want to be here, in three months we want to be here. This is what we're going to do approach with things if that makes sense um i remember listening to uh it was grant russell who used to work at motherwell a few years back did a podcast it's always stuck with us and i mentioned it loads um he spoke about how they always used the, the even the players at motherwell had their own brand and the club would work with those players what do you want to be known for where do you see your career going and we'd make sure that certain players were used in certain promotions that backed up their brand and where they wanted to be and how they thought of themselves Therefore, you get buy-in, therefore something grows. Players seem to understand that the club has a direction and their marketing is fantastic as a result of that. And they see a lot of success off the field with what they're doing. Um, and it, it's amazing that no, it, it seems to be the minority of clubs that are taking that kind of holistic approach and looking at those things and planning and strategizing and yeah, trying to come up with the ideas. Yeah. And saying this, that like, oh, oh, there's not, people aren't necessarily spending a lot of time on strategy, usually elicits one of two responses, um, or maybe three, actually. I think I'm going to, I think I give you three, uh, and I'll be curious if this is what happens to you. So number one is like going, of course we do strategy. We got this plan, and it's like, we've, we've done it, right? Um, the other one is like, you don't know what you're talking about. And then the third one is like they they'll say a combination of those two behind your back. They'll never say it to your face. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, my you know, and I'm curious. So this is the question to you. Right. Is like going. I tell people, I go, look, I can tell you're not doing a strategy by the actions that you're taking. I can mm-hmm. tell, you know, it, it's not me being a smart ass. OK, it might be me being a smart ass, <laughs> uh, but it's not me being, you know, uh, a jerk about it. It's like me looking at your business from the outside and going like, look, this is the sign. These are the signs of a business that are not acting strategically. And here, you know, for me, it's like you can tell it. Right. Because there's no connection. Right. Like to the actions. There's no like, you know, you. you the directions seem all over the place, right? If a business looks scattered, it is scattered, right? And that means there's no strategy. You know, you can tell if like there's um, seems to be stagnation, right? Like, you, yep. you know, if the brand feels dated or stayed or like there's just no rhyme or reason from one year to the next, that's a sign of no strategy, right? Um, if there's no, feels like there's no life to the brand, that's a sign that there's no strategy, you know, so how do you, when you're talking to people, like, how do you highlight to them? Like, look, A, this is what I can tell about you don't have the strategy, but then also here's those positive impacts that you'll get if you'd spend, I mean, because 
you don't have to spend forever on it, right? I, I can give you a long way down the road in six hours, right? I mean, that's what I do all the time. I go, I go do the whiteboard workshop for people. Six hours later, we have, here's an ambition. Here's where we are in the market. Here's our position. Here's what we're going to do. It's four things. I mean, like, if you do that, you, you've gone a long way. How do you approach it? One of the first things in which a lot of clubs then fall into is the fact that you can you can look at social media channels in isolation. You know, they, they could be on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, for example. You know, they've got the handful of the kind of the golden the golden generation of uh, yep. social media sites there. And even the, their approach is just is consistent. So across every single channel, it's the same things on the same day going out with no real thought given to who is going to read this, who has ownership over this, who are our audience on our various different platforms. It's things like mass targeting of emails. You can ask a very simple question. How do you say, how do you decide who gets what email or what do you mean? How do you decide who sees what which adverts or what do you mean? How are you using that data across all of your different channels to make sure that your audience on each platform is perfectly defined? Um, and again, that's something that, in my experience, isn't happening in a lot of places. Maybe in the Premier League, you're probably going to be very fortunate to say that that's happening, but it's not happening across you know, all 20 clubs. Um, but definitely the further down that pyramid you get, that that segmentation, that splitting up of audience just is not happening across them. And I think that that becomes quite an easy visual eye-opener to go, look, all this stuff looks like it was designed by different people for different purposes. Yeah. Um, all of this content is exactly the same going out across all of your channels. You know, your LinkedIn profile isn't optimized to try and actually increase sponsorship or hospitality packages or getting businesses on board. Instead of talking about season tickets, which is irrelevant to a lot of people who are sitting on LinkedIn, that's your consumer-facing channel. Yeah. Okay. Um, and just simple things like that video where I tend to start with them if I'm going to do any work. And it's what I've tried to do this year with the online rule. And um, again, uh, this is me spinning plates and trying to do too much at the same time. Is I'm going to start trying to use quite active on Twitter at the minute. Great, highlighting Twitter stuff. It works. Is to start looking at Instagram and especially start looking at LinkedIn over the next twelve months to highlight on LinkedIn good examples of how teams are using LinkedIn for that brand, for that segmentation, to say, look, it can be different across the various different routes. What I think is happening is, and this is no slight on any of the individuals or any of the clubs or anything like that, I know exactly why these things happen. Um, you get a lot of people who come into sports, social social media and sports marketing who are very heavily focused on match day. So they come in as marketers who do, are great at doing kind of live tweeting along with matches. They're great at posting the images in advance, doing the build-up, doing the post-match, getting interviews online. But out, outside of that, nobody sits above that going, here's why it needs to be consistent. Here's our audience, and here's how we're going to use each of these different channels. It's left to one person doing six or seven different things, all but it's all match day focused. Nobody's taking that kind of ultimate ownership above it. Well, let me ask you, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that people struggle to have that sort of top layer, right? Because there's a couple things that you said that stand out to me, right? It's that um, the social media it acts in isolation. It's inconsistent, yep. right? And uh, you you even said it. I was going to ask you, and I knew the answer was like, oh, and so you should be creating different content for each channel, right? It, like, yep. um, there should be consistency of the message, but not necessarily consistency of the uh, of the uh, uh, you know, of how it shows up, it, it be, you know, it should be, um, it's positioning 101, right? Which is like these yes. three, two or three ideas I have, I'm going to stamp onto um, my customers, my fans, buy no matter what, but how they get it depends on the channel. Um, and then who gets what email is like, you know, you know that, that, that's marketing 101. Uh, that's like, again, the first <laughs> thing. 
But why do you think this is? Why do you think this is such a challenge for for teams? Is it manpower or is it um, philosophical? Um, is it a combination of the two? You know, is it lack of training? You know, what 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 do you think drives some of this stuff? Probably, I mean, probably all of it at various different times. Manpower usually tends to be the biggest thing, um, especially in England, lower down the kind of football pyramid. When you get into a football league, you've got 72 teams, but then obviously there's quite a disparity between League One, um, sorry, the Championship, League One, then League Two. Then you get into non-league stuff and it gets even harder. The budgets aren't there to hire the staff who would be needed to do it all. Um, I find that a lot of budget tends to go into um, kind of creative, graphic, visual stuff, because people can see. You know, they can tangibly look at a stadium and go, well, this looks nice because five people have worked on it. Of course, it's going to look nice. Mm-hmm. Nobody does the same thing with their data, their strategy and thinking about the kind of overall market and direction. Training probably is some of it, um, especially, again, I'm, I, I don't know if like I'm picking on, pick on any individuals or anything like that. But when you get lower down the pyramids again in football, that's where people get started. It's very mm-hmm. hard to go into a Premier League job without experience of working in that industry, which you can only get lower down. So when you're going into a non-league club, for example, if someone volunteers to start off their career, um, they might have done a good university kind of degree or something like that behind it. We do some good football uh, market and sports market degrees in this country as well, which they might have done. Typically, they've come from something like journalism, which is what I did um, originally in the mid-2000s. They come from all these different other creative areas. No one's ever went. I mean, no one ever said to me as a journalist, like, here's, here's what you're writing for. Here's how you get into the mindset of your audience. It was, here's the story who bit who, did the dog bite the man, whatever, and off you go, and, and you write the details down, you report on it, and that's what you do. And it's they're stuck in functional roles, but also doing a lot, so the time's not there, the resource isn't there. Um, maybe the clubs are to blame a little bit for not seeing the benefits of it. Um, one of the things I tried to do last year, I did an interview with um, the guys at Sheffield FC, who are the world's oldest football club, world's first football club. They are non-league. So they're below the kind of the professional pyramids and stuff, but they've got massive, massive aspects. Classic kit into the game and all that kind of stuff. They've got some memberships. They're doing things like Facebook ads with a bit of a budget and working with an agency, which at non-league level is, I think, probably, you know, it's like trying to find a unicorn. I think it's the, probably the only ones yeah. doing it. Um, but they're forward thinking and they're seeing this membership that they've got. They've got a, a membership that's paid for. There's free levels to it. And they're always trying to get people obviously up the funnel. Again, classic marketing ideas. Yeah. Um, but they've got people all around the world who are subscribed to them. And this is a club in Sheffield. Been to Sheffield. It's a lovely place. But you've got people who, you know, people in Brazil are following this club in Sheffield through the fact that they've got into EA Sports. They've established a brand. They partnered with them, um, Cobra 90, to do the kits and things. So they've got, they've got good forward thinking positioning as well. And they've positioned themselves as a family club, as a people's club, as a first club. So they've got a voice. They know where they sit. They know where they stand. Um, and not every club has that help. Not. We can't all be the first football club in the world or the world's oldest football club. But you've got something. Um, Venice have been doing it. You know, Venice have been doing it in the last couple of mm-hmm. years. They've got this, this great aesthetic, this lifestyle brand that they're doing instead. I highlighted Wolves the other day. Um, they've started doing quite a lot of these things. Probably the closest, I think, in England we've got visually to what Wolves do just in terms of kind of visual filters, tone of voice, just something to make the brand look different to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, visu- visually this year, I've just done a comparison of all the kind of 20 clubs in the, in the Premier League, the way that they've all announced their um, kind of lineup graphic. Yep. There's, there's not really a difference or a differentiation. 
no one's really split anything up too much. It's very, very uniform on there. Then I looked across other channels, they just posted the same thing. It's all the same yeah. stuff. Going oh, on. yeah. Some of, them, some of them have got it on LinkedIn, and you're like, anyone really care on LinkedIn? Like the fact that kickoffs in an hour, it's not really that kind of platform for it. Um, no. Yeah, I um, it's interesting that you keep coming back to LinkedIn because I I know that too. Like it, you can, well, oh no, I, this is um, you can sell tickets there, and you can, um, but it takes an it's an entirely different mindset that drives that, right? It's again not you know, do I go to the LinkedIn to see what the Spurs lineup is going to be an hour before <laughs> kickoff? Absolutely not. I go I go to Twitter, um, I, and if I look at happen to look at Facebook or Instagram, it's the exact same thing, just like to your point. Um, and what, what you're talking about with the Wolves, I think is interesting because the Wolves, um, they have definitely, um, and I'm guessing it's intentional because it wouldn't happen by accident. It, they've invested a great amount of attention to their brand codes, right? Their logo is extremely unique. The way that they use the gold and the black are mm-hmm. um it's really incredible because it's in everything, right? And it's, you know, the, the way they use images of the park, right? I mean, like this whole thing, that's brand codes. That's like, you know, and that's a, a an NBA level uh, insight. But, uh, you know, so <laughs> you send their checks to Scott and Dave, it'll be fine. Um, but but it, it's amazing. And most, most teams, they really are... Um, even in the Premier League, I'd say like not most of the teams aren't as good about using those brand codes. I, um, you know, I I see City does a great job. City does, you know, City uh, seems to do a really really nice job, and their their chief marketing officer um, is really really is really strong. Is she's really great. Um, yeah. The Spurs do a good job of of using brand codes. Um, but like some of the other like clubs that you think would, you know, have the history to draw from and they have those connections, they don't always do it. And so it's like, and I guess the question to you is like, it takes intention, right? Yes. And when you're talking to people about this, because, you know, you and I, I think we share a similar a, a philosophy, right? We share a mindset about these things. You know, how do you explain the importance of these brand codes, right? Because you 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 talked about it with the Sheffield FC example. You talked about it with Wolves. You know, I highlighted Man City and, and Spurs. And partly it's like I always use them. That way I, I seem consistent in my message. Um, <laughs> but they're also like have been a, a very nice people that I've met there. Um, you know, how do you teach people about this? Like, you know, how do you get that? Because it seems that um, it's, you know, it's one of those ideas that's underused but so important because four or five images sounds colors um smells whatever can have a huge impact on the amount of um emotion you're able to infuse in this thing and and that'll really at least from my perspective get you through some of those ups and downs when when, when you're winning and losing yeah um I mean, it's not straightforward. You tend to have to look at examples from other areas. So sticking outside of sport, because these are things then, it's about trying to find a common ground, okay? things that they might have recognized or known or understood, but didn't realize why they know, recognize or understand. Mackerel is there. Um, if you are, let's see, Man, Man, Man United and they're red, that should be something that you'd never, ever miss. And another good example, right, um, for brand codes. 
the two teams that wear red, right? You have Liverpool and Man United. They're different color reds. But the thing is, is like those things, red should never be far away. And actually, those two brands do a very good job of making sure that those they never go away. If you want outside of sports examples, you use McDonald's, you used Ikea. Uh, I use Tiffany. Right. Like if you see that shade or I love Fortnum and Mason, actually, I I have to look up and see like because those colors are very similar. But I can tell the difference. Um, you know, I tell people too an example. And this is a great example. And you can totally steal this to like use in a class <laughs> or with your clients is uh, I go to the Four Seasons in Miami on Brickell Avenue pretty regularly. Um I'm there a couple times a year, probably. Uh, that's like sort of my home base when I'm in Miami doing anything. Uh, they had a unique smell. They had a, a signature mm-hmm. smell. And um, you knew you were the, there was only one place in the world you could be. And then they they, they switched, the building switched owners and they changed the smell this year. But you knew. And because of, I, I use that example so often, actually a club that I work with uh created a signature smell for their premium area so that like when you've walked into the their you know the club spaces you were hit with that smell and it was um you know so don't take these things for grant granted because you may they, they are things that you if you do a good job with and be consistent with they will stick with people forever right yeah. they will you know it's the red of the washington capitals right the rock the red that it's it's all consistency and it's like it makes your job easier and you shouldn't have to start over every year. It's just, it, you know, it, it's totally um, a waste of time and energy. Right. And you lose yeah. all this brand equity that you um, that you've created. So the online rule, let's go back here now because we're starting the yes. football season. Right. You know, how do you lay out? Well, you know, that, that was sort of the premise of this whole thing before we got off on all these tangents. <laughs> so the, the online rule is a way for you to examine the, the world of sports and the world of sports marketing. Now, is there, um, do you have like an editorial calendar or how do you build like, you know, the ideas out? Like where do, where do the ideas and like things you're going to cover? How do you, where, where do you come up with them? Like what's your, you know, what's the lens you look at things through when you're putting content for the online rules? Mainly just through being active. Um, I'm constantly on kind of social media feeds. I'm following most of probably all of the clubs in England on stuff. So I'm seeing on the various different channels and platforms what they're doing. I dip in on mornings and evenings to see what's been happening. And then I've got little lists and feeds set up so I can try and keep track of it. Um, you, you feel a bit like kind of a traffic control, to be honest with you, the amount of stuff that's often going on. Um, I'm subscribed to all their email marketing lists, so as many as I could find and get onto when they don't have the time one day. So it's about seeing what they're sending out, what they're promoting, what they're pushing and just really just shifting through it. I mean, it's changed a lot over the past couple of years because I feel like when I started in 2013 doing it, there were a lot of innovations happening. It felt like innovation was every month. Someone was doing something new, spectacular, fantastic, incredible. And someone, a club was doing something new and innovative. And then very quickly, it was interesting watching them all jump into line and kind mm-hmm. of follow along afterwards. It feels a bit, I don't know whether I'm just getting cynical now, but it feels like that, that rate of innovation has died off in the last mm-hmm. two, three years um, from a marketing point of view. I feel like they're doing fewer bolder things, um, especially across their kind of fan engagement and digital marketing channels. So it does feel like it's getting a bit harder. So I've started focusing on instead on how do you make the most of what's there and what exists. So rather than the new stuff, how do you use your existing channels and your existing methods of kind of communication with fans even better than you have been in the past? So. Good examples of how you can use data to personalize stuff and writing kind of maybe some little threads or some little posts about that kind of thing. 
I've started getting freelance writers involved, which has been a big help. Um, so in the past probably 12 to 18 months, I've um, been commissioning some freelance writers, paying people for their time to obviously to put together like a 1,000 word piece and getting people to come with ideas now. So I suppose now the website's grown enough with a reasonable following, people are seeing it, they are, it, it widens my scope for things that I might not necessarily have heard of. I mean, it was it was someone who pitched an article to me on Venice and their approach to Venetia and what they were doing that kind of put me onto them. Because I'd, ne- I'd never come across them a year ago and what they were doing. I didn't know the approach they were taking. So someone highlighted that to me as something. So that that works quite nicely as well because it, allowed, it broadens my scope. Um, you know, things like we did something recently on Ford Madison's kit designs and how they've used that to build a culture and a kind of a brand and a club and a community. Um, I've had some pieces commissioned from um, writers in India who interviewed, I think might be the only player marketer in football um, as a whole, as an industry. I don't know how many other people do that kind of joint on-field, off-field role. So a few things that which are slightly different viewpoints um, because other people are more connected in different spaces than I am. Mm-hmm. And it, it just helps keep the feels out, really. And I suppose that audience has grown enough. I do actually get clubs and people who work for the club sending me their own stuff. So, you know, I think you might like this and people have built relationships with sending those to me as well, which is quite nice. Um, it's always quite a warm and surreal feeling when a football club slides into your DMs on Twitter or something to say, what do you think of this? And, you know, I don't know who you are, but I know the football club. Um, that's always, it gives you a little bit of a thrill, but it's, it's nice to know that it's making that little bit of a difference with people that they feel it, it's useful enough to reach out and then try and help others do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, let me ask you this, then. Why do you think that the innovations died off and dried up so much? You know, does it? do you think it's was happening before the pandemic started? Or do you think it's a reflection of the pandemic and like not being able to have fans in the stands? You know, do you think it's a combination? What do you think? I, I think it was happening before the pandemic, personally, in terms of what I felt like I was getting told about. It feels like the innovations these days and this this could be, again, having looked at it for the last kind of 10 years. Um, you know, you get a little bit fed up with the same things. It feels like innovations wind up being very samey now. No, I mean, the biggest innovations I've seen in terms of technology that I think have been used well, going back to Wolves, actually, I think it was last season, did a, um, you could you could just pick a couple of players and pick a time frame, and they had this very unique way of just kind of personalising the clip and some highlight reels that you could get. So you could do your own season review and you could do your own thing where you pick the players that you want to see clips of. And that was quite innovative, quite cool. Everything else tends to be around the um, like cryptocurrencies and NFTs at the minute. I don't know whether that type of thing and the metaverse stuff that gets talked about, I don't know whether that's blinding things a little bit because all these things are being mentioned, but especially on the crypto side of it and the fan tokens and the fan engagement, I have my, my cynical hat on and I, I have to take a step back from that and go, no, it's not necessarily innovative because it feels a bit like it's fleecing at the minute. Yeah. You're not... That might be a use for this technology, but this isn't it right now. So whether that's got me a bit jaded, I don't know. Um, and also, there's a saturation point. At the end of the day, there are so many social media sites they can't be they can't do any more. Really, TikTok's probably the biggest thing that's come across in the past three to four years, um, in shaking things up from that point of view. Emails being kind of well used. Not many are using ads, which I find a bit odd, especially on like Facebook advertising things. I feel like that's an area they're not invested in or looking at too much. Other than that, if, if you don't feel like there's too many new things keep getting announced. Either that or I'm missing them, which I don't think I am, given what I'm looking at. 
No, no. I, I, we talk, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or we talked about it before. I guess we talked about it on the podcast. It's like, oh, um, I can tell what your strategy is by look by, by how it shows up in the outside world. And um, mm-hmm. I, I, my thing about – so I want to ask you about the platforms because this is um, – I think it's important. I, I think I also know the answer. Um, but that's okay because people might not know, know this. Is Does every club have to be on every platform? And, you know, if, and if so, if, if the answer is no, if, if the answer is yes, why? And if the answer is no, well, how do you help people understand what to prioritize? Because at least in, in my view of things, one of the challenges that gets people jammed up is that they do feel like they have to be everywhere all the time. And um, it just makes people be they're stretched too thin. They didn't, nobody could keep up, you know, so how do you approach that? It's always better to do one or two things well than to do five things badly. Um, it's one of my little analogies that gets ruled out. It goes back to your strategy, really. Who are your audience? Where are your audience? Or what's the best way of reaching that audience? I've seen teams dabble in channels in the past that they've then given up on. I think things like LinkedIn, when we've mentioned that a few times, tends to be left to the back burner a little bit um, because I don't think clubs have really necessarily got to grips with that one as a platform i think they understand twitter facebook instagram um yeah really um they could they can be everywhere there's no there's no harm in that if you've got the resource but there is a risk exactly you said that you get spread too thinly you need to know where your battles are and some of that i suppose then goes back one step further to what we were talking about just before with the strategy side of it what are your kpis what are your goals what are your objectives what are you trying to sell what do you value and then you decide on your channels off the back of that. Um, you know, because if you're going to value a few years ago, they were all jumping on Snapchat. I remember doing that in about 2014, 15, covering all the every time a club joined, you know, we'd I did a little piece and it saying, right, they've joined, this is the kind of thing they're sharing and just show people kind of what clubs were doing on those channels and spaces. I've never looked. I would imagine not a single one of the 20 clubs is probably looking at Snapchat um anymore or updating it regularly, probably purely because that can't be measured in the same types of ways you can't do the engagement right. it's not as public i imagine that's a reason that something like that would kind of drop to the back um i'm actually one of probably one of the few are still on the fence with tiktok when it comes to sports stuff because mm-hmm. in a lot of cases match day content to me doesn't lend itself brilliantly to that vertical format that you've got and if you put it in its full kind of landscape mode but then squash it down to fit on the phone it's then tiny and doesn't do anything. so it's not actually a good one for the match day stuff Great for everything else that they're doing. Fantastic mm-hmm. for that. But is that a channel for your match day footage? But again, because they've jumped on it and they've got this asset, they've got this these clips and these rights, it goes out everywhere. Or they do the other thing, which is when they spread it and they zoom it in. So actually it's quite dis- disorientating trying to watch a game of football when you're watching a small bit that moves around a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And one point I'll make about the LinkedIn thing is I think people are sleeping on it. Because I know that like the, the people I work with who have, have invested uh, in LinkedIn ads and in, in, in marketing on LinkedIn, their return on investment, I was going to say, I may have the number, is somewhere between 5 and 13 to 1. Um, I don't remember because I had two different numbers here and I can't find them on my desk because my desk is a mess right now. But it's, uh, you know, even at 5 to 1, that's a pretty good return on your investment Absolutely. there. And, um, you know, so don't sleep on LinkedIn. Use it the right way. <laughs> Especially when, especially when they've got other social channels that don't even provide a return on investment or don't have a measurable one, where you don't actually know what's happening because they're pushing out. I mean, I think I, when I look and I track the kind of the amount of tweets some clubs are sending, some are averaging 15 to 20 a day. 
But I bet not a single one of those could say this is what it led to. And that's that. You know that goes that goes back to other um, marketing to other businesses as well. If you said that to anyone else, and um, you know you're on Twitter, you're posting 15, 20 times a day. What are you getting out of it? No idea. I'd be telling them to stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, how do you, it, it comes back to like you know what does success look like, right? That's the most basic foundation of anything you're doing. Yeah, um, it might make sense that you are not on social media at all. Right. If yeah. you're the certain size club, you, you can invest the time and energy in email. Right. Because um, segmenting your email and like using email properly is probably still going to get you the best return on investment of anything that you're going to do, at least um, through the programs that I've seen. But that's me. You know, what, what do I know? I'm, I, 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 I'm <laughs> off in America. I'm often wrong. Elsewhere in the world, I'm often right. I don't, so I don't know. I, I take it all with a grain of salt. Scott. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, my plug, plug, business, plug, my man. Oh, yeah, plug as much as possible. So my, my business is Scott Digital. Um, it's a really original name because I couldn't think of anything and the deadline was approaching for when I leave my job, so I had to do something about it. Uh, I'm also at the online rule. So normally I'm Scott Digital Co across any social media and I'm just online rule. Anything to do with that. Um, yeah, and the websites are there. Everything's linked to it. I'm on most Twitter, most kind of social media platforms across Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Some with varying degrees of success, but yeah, I'm around. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't that that the truth? Scott, man, thank you so much for doing Let me know what you thought about my conversation with Scott Goodacre by sending me an email. It is my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. You can check out my website. It's DaveWakeman.com. Make sure you sign up for the newsletters, Uh, especially get TalkingTickets.Substack.com. If you're listening to this episode, I think it will be very valuable to you. Starting on tomorrow, 9th of September, will be a whole new format and a whole new layout for it. So get the first one right away, talkingtickets.substack.com. Check out my friends at Booking Protect. Um, new, exciting things going on as they are now a cover genius company. So check them out, bookingprotect.com. Reach out to my buddy Haley. Uh, she will hook you up. Um like I've said many, many times before, make sure you're, um, you reach out if you need somebody to talk to or if something's um, you're dealing with something. Uh, this period of time is still extremely stressful for people. Uh, I want you to know I'm a, an ear for you. Send me an email, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Uh, you know, I'm glad to be a resource for you, okay? So until next time, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.